We are in Psalm 40, 1 through 10. And recently, we looked at the imagery of Psalm 63 a couple weeks back. We saw in that uh, a picture, an analogy uh, uh, of the, the fortress, the walls that are defensive and, and keep us safe. We looked in that text at a stream, a stream that does not cease to flow. It gives sustenance and, 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 and strength to the inhabitants of the city of God. Today we are in Psalm 40. Today the imagery is from, uh, from this psalm is one of a foundation. It's, it, it, it's, it's about a foundation. And so this morning I want you to know something. This is a very straightforward text. I don't have typical PowerPoint like you normally see, point, 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 point. I do have points, and I'm going to say them. And all I'm going to do is when I say them, you can write them down if you want, but we're going to step through this text in that manner. So this morning, from Psalm 40, 1 through 10, this is the first thing that I would have you look at and ponder. We see here in our text that the king, David, King David has a set of circumstances The circumstance of Psalm 40 is past tense. It's not meaning that David's not experiencing something right now in this moment, but the language is something that has happened. And you see this with me in verse 2. The circumstance, or you could put here, the location of the psalm is the pit of destruction. The pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. A pit of destruction and a miry bog. The word destruction here in our text this morning in verse 2 comes from the Hebrew word, which means to it's an uproar. It's, it's a horrible noise. It's, it's pomp. It's the rushing. It's tumultuous. It, 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 it's, it's not peace-filled. It's, it's not gentle at all. It is, it is tumultuous in nature. He says, this is the pit that which he sits. It's, it's as if the waves of a stormy sea, it's being thrown into the middle of a hurricane. It's a sense of helplessness and desperation. If being thrown into a pit is like being thrown into a well, it's not even being thrown into a well where the waters are clear and smooth. Even in the midst of the well, the waters do rage. That's the picture that David says. Where I am, as I think back to where I was, it was a place of utter mayhem. It was destruction on every turn. He goes on to say with the descriptors, it was a miry bog. The word miry means littered about. It is unclean. It is soiled. It is not tidy at all. It's messy. It's gross. David says there was a time that I lived in utter destruction. My place and my lot was a miry bog. Psalm 62, excuse me, 69, 1 through 2. The psalmist says another place in Psalms. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. The picture of the psalmist in Psalm 69, uh, stolen or uh, piggybacked off of the imagery that we have in our text this morning in 40, verse 2, is a place where you literally are sitting and you have no ability to put your feet down. It's too deep. 
And even if it wasn't that deep, when you put your foot down, if you've ever been in a bog, if you've ever been in a swamp, you notice real quick that it is very silty, it is muddy, and it just gives way. There's nothing firm or footed there, firm-footed. Psalmist says, I have no place to put my foot. Church, danger comes from under your feet and from on top of your head. Uh, Danger in this world, this side of heaven, comes from your right and it will come from your left. And what is important for every one of us in this room, hopefully if we are a part of the redeemed, if we are truly saved in Jesus Christ, it is even more so for the believer. Let me just say that, please listen. There's a whole, there's a whole uh, group within Christianity that would teach something totally opposite than what I just taught and said. But I'm telling you that the danger that comes our way is exponentially more so for the believer in this world. Because we understand something. We were of the flesh. The world, the devil, waged war against our souls. It was always an enemy, but yet we, in, apart from Christ, we were friends to the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we become believers and, and, and lovers of Christ and his glory, when we become his, the Holy Spirit will cause us to turn from the world, the flesh, and the devil that wages war against our souls. And just let me give you, an, give you a hint of something real quick, if you didn't already know this. There will come a time that if you truly love Christ in this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they will hate you because of your love for Jesus. There will be opposition. As you follow Christ, your love of his glory will cause the threefold enemy to attack you all the more. Whoever teaches that storms dissipate as believers has either, listen, I'm gonna be very kind in this, they either have lied to you or they have not been reading the Bible correctly. Now, there is peace in the midst of the storm. There is calm in the midst of the storm. I love the picture of Jesus Christ. If you remember, in the boat that night with his disciples, he came walking out to them on the water, and it says that the, he, when he got into the boat, what, what, what happened? There was, there was not calm. There was a storm that came upon them. They were in fear. And what does Jesus say? Be, be still. Be still. And it ceased. Know this, that in this world, the, the, the world around you will rage. The, the, the waves will, they will persist. They will beat. But here's the thing, we walk with Christ. And whether it's be still this side of heaven, we know this, we have a hope eternal that he has already overcome the waves, has he not? He's already said, be still, and it will be still. What is not clear is the circumstance that David is finding himself here in the text. In other words, we do not get a sense of his pit or bog. We don't know what they were for him. And I think this is maybe, it's possibly important for all of us in this room when we come to Psalm 40. If it was clear, many of us may try and only apply that particular situation to our own situation. Well, this is David, this is for me. No, 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 no. I don't think you can, you can come to Psalm 40 that way. However, the vagueness of the situation really allows for you and I this morning to relate in some way to the king. It's vague. You see, in a real sense, Psalm 40 makes it easy for all of us at some time in our lives to find ourselves in the pit with David. Whether you are a lone mother of two and three children by yourself, whether it is the situation where you have lost a job recently, a debilitating illness that you feel may take you out. 
Maybe it's persecution for your faith. Maybe it is your war, your inward war with some indwelling sin. We don't know what David's is here. Here's, I, I would, it doesn't take a lot to, to, to guess, though, because he, there's a lot of Psalms, right? There's a lot of things we can point to. But in Psalm 40, we do not necessarily know. Let me say something real quick about swamps. How many of you love swamps? Anybody? Anybody going to buy a house in a swamp? Nobody, okay? You guys would? You're my kind of people. Um, listen, I, uh, I have kind of a love relationship with swamps, and you're going to be like, what the world is this guy talking about? Listen, swamps, you know about swamps, right? Wet, it's steamy, nasty, mosquitoes, snakes, alligators, trench foot. You're going, what the world is that? You go to the swamp, right? Swamp foot. It's it nasty, right? I, for some reason, because of my missionary life, and where I just find myself kind of like in swampy places. Well, when I was in the military in um, uh, Georgia, we went not only, not only at the base at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia, but also down below it, we went to a couple of, we did some training uh, down in Florida. And I remember doing lots of training in the swamp. And, and, and one of the funny things that I remember of a swamp, and just to give you a story about something real quick, there was, a young, there was a young man, there was a young man, he was a huge guy. His name was Lacey. He's Lacey. Uh, and it, yes, he was, he was from Compton. How many of you know anything about Compton in California? He's from the projects. Life was rough for Lacey. He, he hadn't ever been out of the projects. He literally joined the military to get out of gang life. He was, one of the, he was like the, the most gentle. He's the biggest dude who could probably flick everybody just away. At a, he could have he could took on anyone. He was just a just kind and gentle guy that I really grew to love while I was in my unit. And I remember one day during uh, training, we were sitting there, and I was just, I just being mean to Lacey. I, I talked Lacey up like, brother, you, do you know about all the alligators that are in here? No, no, uh Schiff, last name in the military, always your last name. Schiff, no, uh don't tell me that, uh-uh, uh-uh. How big are they? Oh, they're huge, they'll swallow you. They swallow me? He's a big boy. I talked up the, the snakes, I talked up every danger imaginable. We're sitting there literally up to here in swamp water with your gun above your head, and we're going through this thing. And as I'm walking, I feel something. I, like, I hit my shin on a, a, a log that is underneath the water. But I can feel the buoyancy of the, wa- the, the log. And so all of a sudden, something snaps. Right? It snaps. Whatever was holding that down, there was like a, a, a stick out. I snapped it and broke it. And I knew that when I left my foot off, that, guess what was going to happen to that, that log? <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to let this go to waste. So I went, snap. Lacey's right behind me. He's right behind me. Snap. I'm going. And I do this. And when I took the step, guess what happened? Boof. I said, alligator. And Lacey's getting his gun, literally. And he's smacking with his, holding it with his barrel facing his stomach, just hitting this, this log and screaming. Now you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with the sermon? It has everything to do with the sermon. It was jo- jovial and happy for me. But listen to me. The swamp for Lacey was no safe place. It was utter, utter fear in him. He he literally was not a place that he wanted to be. And oftentimes in literature, we see this picture of the swamp and in the bog. It is not a place you want to be. The Lord of the Rings, I think of. What I think of, how many of you ever seen The Princess Bride? The the rats of unusual size. What was it it called again? Are you, what was it? Anyway, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. It was in the bog and... One of my, the, 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 
A beautiful picture in literature is the Pilgrim's Progress. Has anybody ever read it? An allegory of the Christian walk in faith. Brothers, I, I, I recommend read the Pilgrim's Progress. But I was reading that to my children as they were little kids. And, and then there you see the sloth of despond. The bog and the swamp where no good thing was dwelling. You see, this morning from our text, David's pit and bog, his spiritual place of destruction, is the location every man and woman, apart from Jesus Christ, sits. Our condition, because of sin and rebellion against God, is a place of no hope. It is a place of destruction that only leads to further destruction. We have no footing. If you walk across it, it's silt and mud. You sink in. There's nothing in it that it causes us to be a, a safe feeling. It is a place of destruction that only leads to further destruction. The one thing we know about God, you're going to learn about this when we do the attributes of God, is God is immutable, which means that he changes not. The immutability of God is absolute beautiful news in a world that everything seems to shift and turn and move and change with the times or what people allow it to be. God has not left himself up to be changed by human invention or intention. Amen? God is the unmovable. He is the sure. Here we see that David is having a problem because of his circumstance, his place. Let's continue. The king, we see, has a cry. He has a location. He has a circumstance. We see him with a cry here in verse 1. One of the greatest, I would say, one of the greatest reasons why I think God loves David so much is because David was made, he made it a habit to constantly cry out to God. That's what we see here. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he, here it is, he heard my cry. You see, David was in the habit, if you know anything about David, was this. He cried to God when things were rough and difficult. He cried out to God when things were good. He cried out to God when he was in danger. He cried out to God on days of thanksgiving. Psalm 6-6 said, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. See, David, for the most part, regardless of the circumstance, seemed to be a man in continual communion with God. Continually in communion with God. David's crying out to God was not like an athlete who loses the big game. All right? It's not that level crying. How many of you have ever seen that, by the way? An athlete cried because he lost the Super Bowl. That's despicable. <laughs> it's not like an individual who is sad because he did not get his way or... Even someone who feels like they have been wronged or mistreated, as simple as that can be, to feel that way. See, in our text this morning from Psalm 40, this is the cry of a child. David is crying out to God as if he were a child. You say, Kyle, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? A child who needs something, namely his parent, in weakness. You remember a couple uh, weeks ago, I used that analogy of Josiah in Walmart. You remember that? Where he kept getting away from me, and I wanted to teach him that you stay near your dad because I love him. And so I hid myself, and he screamed out and hollered, and his little tiny frightened face broke my heart, and I felt like a horrible father. But at the same time, the, the, the thing is, is I needed him. I wanted him to desire, or excuse me, to understand that his dad, if he was near, would not let anything hurt him or become, become ill for him. 
needed him to stay close because I seek to give him the protection that only came. As I think about Josiah, those many years ago in the middle of Walmart, this, this is the picture I see of David here in the middle of the circumstance, like a child crying out for a father to save him. Dad, where are you? Where, where are you? Notice the context of this crying. We see the context of this cry in verse 4. If you look with me again, it says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. David's cry was a cry to God and not to man. In other words, David is brought to a place where he sees that nothing else can rescue him Nothing on this earth, no father, no, 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 no individual, no friend, no group of people, no politician, no life insurance plan, nothing on this earth can bring him the kind of uh, the desire that he needs for safety. It was God and God alone. We see this in Psalm 118, 8 through 9. The psalmist says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Elsewhere he says, Psalm 139, 8 through 10. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the place of the dead, it is you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David says that in this world, everywhere I turn, every circumstance, every darkness, every shadow, every place in light, everything that you can imagine, this side of heaven, God is there. He's there. David's cry, church, must be our cry. Once we understand our helpless and hopeless condition, our situation before God, and our location apart from God, specifically in Jesus Christ, all that's left for us is to cry out for his mercy and grace. The mere calling out to God is an act of acknowledging him as the ultimate source of rescue and help. However, it can be seen that being brought to this place can be in itself a grace of God. Let me say something real quick. I don't want you to get lost in what I just said. You miss what I'm trying to say. You know that oftentimes when you feel this helplessness, if you get to the place where you feel as if though you're, uh, you're utterly saying, God, where are you? Most of the time within Christianity, we teach that that means God is distant. He's far from you because he doesn't love you or something like that. Or, 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 or there's something wrong in your life. Or maybe there's some type of a sin. And maybe there's, some, there's practical applications of that. Sure. Those in whom Christ has died for, those in whom he has purchased with his own blood, he says, hey, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. Isn't that good news? You aren't selling yourself to God, by the way. You know that, right? You're not walking up and get God, you, you want to buy some of this. You want to redeem this, right? S spend some of your money on this. Christ Jesus says, that money is my precious blood. It is holy. It's undefiled. Spend some of that on me. I'm worthy. Just listen to me. There's none of you in this room that is worthy of the blood of Christ. None of us. And that is our hopeless condition before God that none of us are worthy apart from Jesus Christ. And yet here we are, 
we see this situation, I want to let you know something. Not all the times that you're, fell, you're feeling in despair, not, ever, not all the times that you're crying out to God and find those seasons is some, somehow God punishing you. There's often times where God literally sends you to those places because he loves you. He loves you. Let me explain what I mean by this. Why did I put Josiah in that position in the first place a couple weeks ago? Because I wanted him to realize how important it is to stay near me. His little, his little, I forget how old he was, probably about five years old self in the toy aisle. Josiah, stay near me. Stay near me. I watch the news. Our world is a very dark and, and demented place. Please, brother, kids, stay near me. Daddy loves you. Stay near me. Let me see you. And I kept seeing him get away. I kept seeing him get away. And so I put him in a difficult situation where daddy literally hid. Hid in the clothing. Like literally, like this kind of hiding. Right? I wanted to see what he would do. I needed him to feel the trepidation and the fear. I needed him to feel all of it. Once he felt it, I break, I, my heart did break. I looked at his face. I thought to myself, you are not going to get parent of the year award this year. You are a horrible father. But I needed for him to get to that place so that he knows to stay near his father because that's the sort of love this father had for his son. God doesn't love me anymore. God, I feel, Maybe the way you're feeling is because God does love you. Sometimes we need to be brought back to a place of great dependence upon him. Is he wrong for that? No, because he's good. God loves you so much that he always points you to the, the object of his own love, him. God is love. There are many reasons why difficulty may abound, even for Christians. But brothers and sisters do not always believe that they are always the punishment of God. These very moments, they can, they can be a gift from God. Do you see difficulty this way in this room? We are prone to forgetfulness, aren't we, as a church, as people? I know this. I got a very, very wonderful illustration of this this week, last week. Guess what? Y'all remember how hot it was last week? Right? You know, y'all don't. Y'all don't know how hot it was because y'all had air condition. See, my air condition unit went out. Like, literally, we had children in our house. It, was, it got to 94 degrees in our home. Misty, being Misty, like, it was like, it was horrible. Misty puts, like, blankets on all the windows. She says we can't turn on any lights because it makes it hotter. So we're living literally in darkness. It's 94. It was hell. It was Hades. It was dark. There was no light. God wasn't there, right? It was, it was horrible. It was a horrible situation. It got so bad that my, wife, my daughter looked at me. She sat on our couch, and she said, Daddy, the couch is moist. Oh, that's bad. It's bad when you have a fish in your, uh, you have a, a fish that lives in water that literally is dying because it's being cooked in its own water. That's hot. You know what I'm saying? That was us. And you know what? Two weeks ago, we were like, air conditions, neat. Air conditions, cool. No pun intended, okay? <laughs> is this thing on? Is this thing on? How is anybody here? But guess what? It got fixed. Three to four days later, Naomi, she does so much more in this church than just being in the office. You don't know what she does. She let, me, she let us live with her for three days. Right? We even have a dog. A fish nobody cared about. Right? But the thing is, is that once that air conditioning came back on, I remember walking into her house and going, oh, 
I could cry. I was like, oh, this air conditioning is so beautiful. Lord, thank you for air conditioning. Listen, a week before, I didn't thank God for air conditioning. I did when it went away. When I was brought to a place of utter dependence upon air conditioning. Guys, what I'm trying to say is there are moments in our lives where God brings us to this other place so we can go, realize that God has always been there. God, do you know that God's provision is good to his children, that his promises are good? Sometimes we forget those because we're humans and we live this day, but God in his loving kindness, he takes us to the places where honestly we have to cry out and say, God, we need you. That is not bad days for me if if I'm really honest. That cannot be bad for us. Because at the end of that, we find he who is good. This is the kind of love God wants for us. And if he must, he will get it by hiding himself for a season until we crave him like a drowning boy for air or like Josiah yearned for his father to be near him. The question, church, is are you desperate for God? Have you begun to cry out to him like this? See something here in the text. Verse 1 again. Then we see the king waits patiently. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. The word patiently stands out to me in verse 1. David does not seem to have received instant gratification or even reprieve from his situation at first. However, something we see is that David waited well. He waited for the blessing of God. In Psalm 39.7, it says, and now, O oh Lord, for what, do I do, uh, for what do I wait? What do I wait in? Because he says, my hope is in you. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Church, listen, wait the way David waits. Be patient and do not settle. Do not settle for anything less than God. Sanctification will come, but not always overnight. Do not settle for a cheap imitation of a move of God. Wait on God's hand. Wait for the real thing. He is the truest and he is the surest treasure and hope. We further see this once again in verse 4. It establishes this waiting because look what he says. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after lie. You see, as humans, we're always seeking to take the perceived easy and fastest way out. When it comes to God in this life, I want to give you a word of encouragement. If it seems like I'm getting a raised voice, it's not because I'm angry. It's because I want you to know this. This picture of we in humanity grasping at everything that gets our attention. We grab for the shiny when ultimately it may not be. It's false gold. It's quartz when when God is offering diamonds. We're like squirrels. Because we got there's there's a nut in the yard somewhere. The dog looking for the squirrel, looking for the nut. It's it's whatever God, we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sit here and wait. And well, that's that's quicker and faster. Grab it quick. Maybe that's God anyway. David. He waits patiently for the Lord. You know why it's easy to wait patiently for the Lord? Because when you get to a place, I hope that all of us in this room, like David, has gotten to a place, at least in here, in this text we see, I hope that all of us understand that we wait patiently for the Lord because everything else besides God is just not worth it. Did you hear what I said? We have learned the goodness of God that literally anything that we can grab hold of is secondary 
in regards to the primary, which is God, and that we'll say this as a church and as a people, we will let it pass. I may have to sit here for a time longer, a spell longer, but it is not worth me grabbing hold of. I desire God and God alone. He is the only treasure of my heart. I will pass. I remember Charles Spurgeon said about revival. He said, give me revival. But revival without Christ, I don't, no longer, I don't need revival without Christ. I will take revival with him, not in spite of him. We see that the king waits well. You remember that quote from C.S. Lewis? I hate to say something I've already said before, but it just works so well, the picture. I love it so much in, in regard to this sermon this morning. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Not in Christ. Not in Christ. We don't have to grope. What we have is far greater than what we perceive we need even today. Next, we see the king's reprieve. We see this in verse 2. And look, I want to hone in on something here in verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock, making my step secure. What I want you to know from verse 2 is this. We are not self-made individuals in our walk with Christ. I need you to stare at something with me in verse 2. It is very important that we stare at it. Because in verse 2, it says something. Who drew who out of a pit? Who? He drew me up out of the pit. He, in the text, is not David. He, uh, for us, if we're trying to put ourselves in this place, it's not us. He is God alone. He pulls us out of the pit of destruction. He uh, takes us out of a miry bog. Look what it says. It's he who sets my feet on a rock. It is he who is making my steps secure. Once again, this is a psalm all about what God does for us and not about what we do for God. Ultimately, you'll see that in a minute, that just changed. What I want you to understand this morning is walk securely in Christ. Christ, his word, and the gospel are the foundation in which we now stand. Live under this truth and stand firm in believing its power. I want to tell you one, just really quickly why I love this text so much. I don't know where you were before you came to know Christ. I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with Christ. But I'm going to tell you what I know of myself. I was a rotten, no-good scoundrel, an enemy of God. I did not deserve God's love. I did not deserve God's grace. I did not deserve God's mercy. If there's anybody, listen, I don't know where you are or how you walk, but I walked a day in my life where I absolutely hated God. I would cuss him out at night over a bottle of alcohol. I screamed at him, I cussed at him, I said, leave me alone, I hate you. I gave him the proverbial finger, I did so many things in my life, I hated God. And in that hatred, and in the venom of my mouth, God saved me. Saved me. Why would God save me? Out of all men and women, I know people a lot better than I was. Truthfully, if I was to measure them by the moral standard, they were a lot better than me. Why would God save a wretch like me? God's in the business of saving wretches like us. 
I found myself in a pit of destruction and a mari bog. And my God, he cleaned me up, picked me up when I couldn't even pick myself up. He dusted me off. He put my feet on a solid st- place to stand. And I've been walking ever since. And it is not by the grace of Kyle. It is not by the goodness of me. It has all been by the grace, the mercy, the goodness of my God towards me. Can you say the same for yourself? I love this text because this text is true of this man's heart before you at this podium. He will receive all glory because all glory is due his name alone. If you are in Christ this morning, in his righteousness, the blood, the death, and the resurrection of him has been applied. If it has been applied to you this morning, you have not only been pulled up out of the mud and mire, the place of destruction. Brothers and sisters, you have also been given a firm foundation on which to stand. You will no longer sink, and the waves will no longer prevail over your head. Sure, over this side of heaven, there might be some things, bumps and bruises, brothers and sisters. We have eyes in eternity, amen? Our treasure is with him, and him is Christ. John 16, 33 has become something that I love very dearly. This is a promise that you can, hey, look. Hey, mark it down. Hey, I want to, this is my Bible verse. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you, to prosper you, hope in the future. That's my verse. God, will, God promises that to me. I'll never have hard difficulties. Uh-uh, that's not your verse. You don't get to claim that verse. I'm sorry if I just spoiled your, your day. Here's one you can claim. John 16, I have said these things to you. That in me you will have peace. Excuse me. That in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. I love these words here. But take heart. Be of good cheer. Smile. Why? I have overcome the world. Let me read it in context because I threw a lot of Kyle in there. But we don't, we don't need Kyle anymore of Christ. I have said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have over, 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 overcome the world, already overcome the world. Amen? Lastly, you see the king's response. The king's response is singing. And I don't mean just singing. You don't mean what I'm saying. It's singing. Look with me in verse 3, and then we're going to look at 5. God he says, he put a new song. Who put the song in the mouth, by the way? Who is the one who's putting songs in people's mouths? God's. He put a new song in my mouth. In order for a new song to be sung, what has to first die and stop singing? The old song. God has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. And this is why I'd say, I, I, I add a question here. Why? Why? Why would many put, uh, fear and put their trust in him? Well, I think verse 5 tells us, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David's song this morning, brothers and sisters, must be our song, even more so for us, because I'm going to tell you something that we have right now in the 21st century American Christianity in this room that David didn't even yet have. Do you know who he is? He didn't have Christ Jesus. He did not have the Holy Spirit. Sure, it came and went, but he doesn't have what we have in Jesus Christ. If anybody has any reason to sing more the song of salvation, it's us after Jesus. 
David sang a song to the one whom he longed for, he hoped for. His song was a song of deliverance in the coming Messiah. We sing of the one who has come and his name is Christ. Our song is a beautiful song. It's the song of salvation, of deliverance, of reconciliation, of joy. It is to be the song of every man and woman in the household of God. Saved and redeemed people, listen church, are a singing people. And I don't mean just just singing. We're going to do that in a minute, and I'm going to invite you all to sing with us right here in a second and worship to God. But when I say singing, I want you to know it's more than music. It's more than notes on a page. It's what our voice is declaring to the world out there. What is our song every single day? How many of you wish that you had theme music? Anybody, or am I just a weird one? Anybody want some theme music? Y'all watch the movies, don't lie. There's a moment that I find, there's like three songs in my life. I was like, I wish I just walked down the street and that music plays. You know, like in the movies, you know what I'm saying? I want some theme songs. Listen, for the believer of Christ, the believer our theme song is Christ his banner over us is good that is the theme of our song that is on our lips that's what that should be the theme music as we walk down the street it's all Christ look with me again verse 7 through 10 if you want to know the, the significance of the singing and David's response to all that God has done look what he says then I said, Behold, excuse me, I'll go up to six first. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Let me, let me stop real quick and let you know a little bit. In other words, what he's saying here is, look, you have not required worship services for us. In other words, what man puts in the place. This is, this is the sacrificial system. You didn't require this of us, but look what he says next. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Look what he says next. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. The boy, I have not restrained my lips. I have not, I have not restrained those things. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. This song was made to be heard for God's glory and for man's ultimate good. Those of us who have been redeemed and bought in Christ. Silence is arrogance. And silence is ultimately the most unloving thing that we can do as believers of Christ Jesus. For us to be muted in the song of the one that deserves all our singing and praise. It is unkind to God, first and foremost. And yes, it is also unkind to man. It's unkind to God because he deserves our glory, our worship, our praise. He deserves to hear the song of the redeemed because he is the one who redeemed us. That is our worship to God. But it is also number two to man because it is true that apart from a saving work of Jesus Christ, without faith and trust in the one who died for us, we are all of us hopeless. How can we hate and care so little of the souls of man to stay silent about the things that we know are true? We cannot be so unkind. Church, sing and proclaim the goodness of God. Let us read this text again this morning together, hopefully with new eyes. I waited patiently for the Lord. He climbed to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Amen. 
He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than they can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book that it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. He is worthy. Amen? God is worthy.